Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 68, and we're reviewing Ranking of Kings. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. And we are officially in 2022. Welcome to the new year. <sighs> what was that? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's exciting that we get to start a new year. I know everyone falls into the trap of writing the previous year down um, for the first couple months of the new year. Oh, you mean like when you sign something or when you date something? Yeah. Although I don't know if people really write things often now. I don't. I don't remember <laughs> the last time I had to handwrite anything. But yeah, when I send emails, I'll probably still end up putting 2021 instead of 2022. Oops. Yeah. I... I, I Courtney knows this. I'm still feeling a bit groggy from, I think, the New Year's celebrations. <laughs> I know it was, what, Friday evening into Saturday morning. Uh, we had a couple friends over to celebrate, uh, but we stayed up pretty late. Until 4 a.m. I was yeah. surprised. I, I was convinced we would be knocked out by, like, 1 in the morning. Um, but I think it was a combination of playing Mahjong and Pico Park. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with Pico Park, it's it's a game that's been around for a little while on Steam and on Switch. We're actually playing it on Switch, um, but it became viral recently because a lot of Twitch streamers have been playing it. So I downloaded it. It's like five bucks um, on the Nintendo online shop, and we played it with our friends. And it's it's such a simplistic uh, puzzle game, like a co-op puzzle game, but the way it's structured and the the amount of issues that can come up when you're trying to coordinate with like six, seven, eight players um, all at once. It, it's, uh, it's a recipe for disaster, but also a recipe for a lot of fun. Like it could go one of two ways. You're either going to be screaming at each other by the end of it, or you're going to be laughing your ass off. Luckily this time around, <laughs> we were laughing our asses off, but we've played other rounds with other friends where it was a little more frustrating. I would say it was half and half, especially because we were drinking for a bit <laughs> um, before we played and I think each player had their own goof at certain points, so we were all guilty of yeah. of being idiots. But it was it was a fun game, uh, and yeah, it's hard to believe we stayed up until four a.m. playing. So I think that's why I'm still, even though it's Sunday as of right now, of this recording, I still feel like I'm recovering. And maybe it's also because of the food that we ate; it wasn't particularly healthy. Yeah, we binge so. ate a lot. Yeah, I, I'm still kind of tired myself. Maybe not as tired as you, but it, it just means we had a really great time this weekend. Yeah. And so not so fresh a start to the new year, but <laughs> it'll be exciting nonetheless. But hey, we're, we're in 2022. There's a lot of great things coming up um, in terms of anime. Uh, first and foremost is Attack on Titan. That That's coming up um, in one week as of today's recording. So that's pretty exciting. One week for, I think, us here in the U.S. Because I think it premieres January 10th in Japan. But for us, it'll technically be Sunday the 9th. So, yeah, that's that's super exciting. And as a reminder, we will be bringing back our Attack on Titan review series where we review every single episode of this second part of the final season of Attack on Titan because this is a huge event for the anime community. And um, like we did last time, we will be releasing our review episodes the Wednesday following that week's newest Attack on Titan episode. So we'll be very timely about it um, so we can talk 
every little detail before we get to the next week's episode. And to prepare for that, to kind of get us in the Attack on Titan mindset, we actually started the OVAs. I think there's three sets of OVAs that aren't necessarily recaps. Um, And so we started the first set, which is three episodes following the conclusion. Well, they, they came out right around the time of season one, um, but they kind of take place in sporadic times or er- sporadic moments throughout season one, but they're technically tied to that season, right? I think most of them, oh wait, I'm trying to think back. So the first episode I think was after the scouts went through their training or maybe it was during their training actually. I think most of the episodes take place during the initial, or not, they're not scouts, but like the, the cadets. Um, before they get assigned into the different branches of the military. Yeah, so not to spoil anything, but the first each OVA is kind of a separate story. The first one follows um, Hanj and Levi as she's trying to um, to capture a Titan, um, as she does for research purposes. And it, it's how do I describe this without giving too much detail? Um, Provides they, a lot of foreshadowing. Yeah, a lot of foreshadowing. And it's crazy watching it now. So this is the first time we're watching these OVAs. It's kind of crazy watching it now because had we watched it when season one came out, we would have been like, what? All that information would have gone right over our heads. But because we're watching it so close to the conclusion of Attack on Titan, I I, I look at that and I'm like, holy shit, this information clicks immediate for, immediately for me. And it's kind of crazy to think they gave this type of information right off the bat in season one in an OVA. It's it's very bold of them, but they do that multiple times throughout the show. So it's not it's not uncommon. And the second OVA follows um, Jean's story. And Jean, Jean and Mikasa are probably my two favorite characters in Attack on Titan. So this one was all about him. And it was very much a, a comedy type of episode. It's a little bit unexpected, but it's, it's Jean's story in this um this competition he goes into with sasha and essentially it becomes uh his origin story with his friendship between sasha and connie so that was fun to watch and then the third ova um this one follows the cadets at the time Mm -hmm. um they do some like recon mission and really the the point of it it, there there really isn't a point it's kind of just showing us them as inexperienced scouts and how they band together to get through a situation. Um, that's like the best way I could describe it. So the third one was less exciting than the first two, but all three of them were, were really good um, overall. Yeah, I would say the first one adds the most to the overall story for the series. Um, the second one definitely was comic relief. It was sort of like tongue-in-cheek cooking episode for Tag on Titan. Um, I you forgot to mention how they changed the OP. So it's the first season's OP, and Aaron Yeager is the focal point of it, obviously because he's the main character of the show. But for the second episode that features Jean, that OP kind of peppers in cameos of himself where he becomes sort of the main character of the show. It was so funny. We actually had to restart it because I was like, wait, am I seeing this correctly? Why is Jean popping up so much in this OP? <laughs> yeah, so that was just a nice uh, Easter egg or I guess humorous touch um, to add to that. The way I described it to you when we were watching it, it felt like Wit Studio 
said, hey, animators or, or team working on Attack on Titan, you guys have been working on such an intense show and doing a great job. We're going to let you take this one episode and just go wild with it and just do whatever the fuck you want. Make it funny. Make it ridiculous. And they did just that. But it, it all comes together very nicely. Yeah. And then the third one, like you said, it's it's just showing the teamwork amongst the cadets. And it's it's probably the core group of Attack on Titan that will that we see throughout the series so just establishing their relationships the way that they work together um so not as i guess consequential to again the overall story as episode one or as the the first ova we watched was but all three of them were great and kind of helped me get back into the mindset of watching attack on titan in preparation for the final season obviously this was with studio that did the first three seasons so there's going to be a, a a change in visual style and aesthetic come the part two of the final season with Mappa at the helm. But yeah, this, this was just great to get back into that world. And it just reinforces the fact that Attack on Titan has extremely high rewatchability. Um, we've already kind of been planning to rewatch the entire series just on, on our own time um, after the conclusion of the show just to see all of these pretty big hints very subtly peppered in throughout the show. But yeah, again, just watching that that first OVA, I was like, damn, I cannot believe they straight up told us that information and it would have gone right over our heads at the time. So it's it's a very different watch experience when you know the full lore behind Attack on Titan versus when you're just starting off. Um, there are two more sets of OVAs. The second set has two episodes and it follows Levi's backstory, I believe, and, and how he met Erwin. Um, and then the third set of OVAs is three episodes, and I believe the first half follows Annie, and then the second half follows Mikasa. So I hope that we can complete those f- total of five episode OVAs uh, before Attack on Titan premieres. Um, but either way, we'll pro- we'll probably finish them soon because I I want to I want to ride this hype wave as much as possible and then just finish out the show and, and feel empty afterwards because w- what is left after Attack on Titan is done? <laughs> yeah. Although there'll be other anime to hold us over. But oh, yeah, for sure. Be, yeah, yeah. No, it won't be the same as, again, the show that we've followed for almost 10 years. It's kind of like, I guess, to, to be more serious about it, the the feeling I anticipate we'll experience is this this feeling of being lost because when you have a history-making anime like this that you've been following for multiple years, you just kind of sit there and wonder, what's going to be the next big anime? I think this is the same way we felt when Code Geass finished. You're like, how can anime ever get any better than this? And then along comes Attack on Titan, and they're like, well, let us show you. So what could possibly be better than Attack on Titan? Like, I'm, I'm excited for the future of anime when we finally... Um, are introduced to that next amazing anime that kind of follows an attack on Titan's footsteps. Yeah, we were actually watching uh, Gigguk's Twitch stream over the weekend where he looked at trailers for the upcoming winter anime and he mentioned Attack on Titan. We purposefully avoided watching his reactions to the trailers because we kind of want to go in blindly with this final part. But I think he put it best when he said, like, Attack on Titan is is like the event, I guess, for anime this in this era, like similar to an Avengers Endgame, like just this really big watershed moment for the anime community. And it'll be interesting to find out if we'll have another anime series in the future 
that'll match the same high quality and caliber that Attack on Titan has had on us for, again, these past 10 years. And one more week, one more week as of today's recording, we get to witness the final moments of Attack on Titan. So again, we will be bringing back that that Attack on Titan special event. The very first episode um, of that review series will go live January 12th, so look forward to that. And of course, over at Strictly JoJo, our other podcast, we are in the throes of our Part 6 Stone Ocean review series. So there's a lot to to look forward to and a lot to get involved with um, on both of our podcasts. In other anime updates, I guess, um, I finished literally like 20 minutes ago. 20 minutes before we started recording, I finished Welcome to the NHK. Wow. And it was pretty good. It was pretty damn good. Um, it came out in the, I don't know, I think it was like the early 2000s. Um, let me see because I want to get this date correct. It came out 2006. So it's it's one of those anime that came out in the golden era of anime. And... Um, I thought it was going to be about the NHK, uh, which is, I think, like Japan's news source or what? what how would one you describe of their TV them? broadcasting channels? Yeah, it's, it's like one of the bigger ones or the biggest one. Has nothing to do with that. It's kind of like when you go into um, Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai and you think it's going to be about Bunny Girl Senpais, but it's really not. It's it's like about science and physics and other crazy shit. Um, but yeah, NHK Niyokoso was um, a psychological trip, that's for sure. It basically follows a, I can't say this word fast, a hikikomori um, as he struggles to, you know, kind of re-enter society and be a, a productive adult. Um, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting the way they portrayed this this guy, um, Sato, and his journey because it's not just like some over-idealized like he has a, a breaking moment and then suddenly everything's sunshine and rainbows and and his life is all perfect like he he rebounds or not rebounds um regresses a couple of times throughout the show and it's a very i feel realistic take perhaps on what it's like to be a hikikomori not that i would know firsthand so um perhaps that that uh assumption is incorrect but either way it's a really good watch i recommend it so there's like no mention of NHK. No, so they um there is mention of NHK, but it's not the NHK you think of. It's the Nihon Hikikomori Kyokai. Oh. Um, it's basically they're using it as um, an acronym for like this perceived or made up organization that's out to get Hikikomori. So it's kind of like USJ in My Hero, the way that they're using that acronym. Yes. Well. Where it's not the act like USJ is Universal Studios Japan, uh-huh. but in My Hero, it's the name of one of their training facilities. It's I guess it's a way for them to get away with using that acronym without um, infringing upon copyright. Yeah, it's like yeah, they, it's a it's a familiar acronym that has a different use um, or different meaning behind it in the show. So yes, but yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. It's not, if anyone likes a slice of life that's not your typical slice of life that has some like psychological elements um i would recommend welcome to the nhk and then we have also started odd taxi finally right yes. after the new year happened we're like fuck it we're gonna watch odd taxi because we've we've been mentioning this multiple times that we feel like that's the one anime that we missed out on um and that we had on our watch list all year last year oh it's so weird to say last year <laughs> mm-hmm. because it was like two days ago um 
but yeah, finally we committed because we're like, we, we have to watch it before winter 2022 starts or we're never going to find time to watch it. And I wanted to watch it before the you know the various anime awards start to happen because like Crunchyroll has theirs. You've got the anime trending awards, et cetera, so that we would know a little bit about it because I'm, I'm sure it's going to pop up on those as like a nominee. Yeah, it's a very different anime from some of the stuff we've seen in 2021. Um, I didn't expect it to be like this sort of mystery thriller. Uh, I thought it was just going to be like taxi cab confessions. With, that's, that's what I thought too. Like yeah. just like a slice of life where this dude drives around and people get in his car and like tell him about their lives and he helps guide them in the right direction. Which he still does. Uh, Otakawa, I think, is the taxi driver's name. It's this walrus um, driver. <laughs> um, but then I guess a lot of the passengers that he drives around they seem to be involved in this sort of i don't know if you want to call it a conspiracy but this the situation yeah this we'll leave it at that it's a situation but it kind of has this like six degrees of separation type of scenario Mm -hmm. going on um or like a spider web whatever you want to call it where people are intertwined in the most unexpected ways it i thought of it as like um gta 5 where you have you know, that game has three protagonists, but then they all have, like, an interconnected story. I think it's a similar thing here where you have a bunch of different characters whose lives and situations interweave again into this this situation or this scheme. Um, although we're only six episodes in, and I think we have, like, seven left, but it, it's it's been pretty intriguing so far. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. So hopefully we can close that one out, too, again, before people start to reflect on 2021 so that we know what the hell they're talking about when it comes to Odd Taxi. (laughs) And the last update in the uh, anime watch news or the anime watch world for us, um, I recently put out an Instagram story um, because I was kind of up in the air between two anime. First one was Death Parade. The other one was Akame Got Kill. And I asked everybody on Instagram what I should watch next. And I think the vast majority, like 64, 65% of you guys said Akame Got Kill. So I have started that. I'm five episodes in. Um, and it's it's interesting. I knew it was going to be dark. I didn't think it was going to be this dark. But um, I say that in a, in a good way. I'm enjoying the lore so far. Um, and right now I'm kind of in that part of the story where they're doing a lot of world building. So it's a little overwhelming, but I really like the way they approach the, the dark parts of the show, um, while they also have a nice amount of comedic humor at the same time. So I don't know. It's a really fucking popular anime. People talk about it all the time. Um, the rating is decent. So I just had to know, I had to know why everyone watches the show and, uh, I'll, I'll soon find out when I finish it. See, I thought that's what you were watching instead of the... Welcome to the NHK. So I'm surprised that you have squeezed in all of these shows to watch. Binge watcher. Yeah. That's my life. Let's go binge watchers. Binge watching supremacy. In contrast, (laughs) I did start School Rumble. Um, I'm only three episodes in. um, And I I think I watched one every like other day this past week. So again, very different viewing habit on my end. (laughs) Uh, but I think this one I'll just kind of take in stride more as like a casual anime that I'll, I'll watch every now and then. And I think it's kind of structured like that. I mean, there's, it is a slice of life. There is some sort of romantic interest in it, but I don't think it's one that I have to watch religiously every 
day or, or jump into the next episode after it's done. Um, so again, I'll just watch it casually. Yeah, 100%. School Rumble can be eaten in little bites. Wait, that's weird to say. It can be consumed. <laughs> consumed, yeah. I think, was the word I was looking for. It can be consumed um, in you know little bits um, and pieces, and you can still enjoy and understand the overall story, unlike a Welcome to the, the NHK or an Akame Ga Kill where – every fucking episode has a cliffhanger. So, of course, I have mm-hmm. to start the next episode immediately because I'm impatient and I can't wait. Yeah. That's how they get me, man. <laughs> but hopefully this one I won't drag out for the entire year like I did with Marmalade Boy. So, <laughs> we'll see. All right, let's get into Ranking of Kings because this is Little Buddy Buddy show and we love Little Buddy Buddy and Little Buddy Buddy is Prince Boji, of course, because he is just best boy all around. best boy contender for 2022. Yes, and I almost included him in our previous episode. um, It was episode 68, the best and worst of 2021 anime. Episode 67? 67, what did I say? 68. Okay, so I get this. (laughs) This (laughs) This is is episode 68. (laughs) Yeah, this is me, new year old me, (laughs) messing up. But yeah, episode 67 where we talked about our best and worst of anime 2021. I almost included Boji as best boy, um, but I, I forgot, like, per our rules for that episode, he, his anime is not completely finished yet. Yeah, so to clarify that, for anyone who hasn't yet listened to the previous episode, episode 67, um, we agreed that we would only include anime that completed in 2021 because it feels a little bit um, it's a bit difficult for us to rank something best or worst when it hasn't even completed and we don't have the full picture so we did include stuff like attack on titan and jujutsu kaisen which started in 2020 but finished in 2021 so in this case uh little buddy buddy boji will be um available for pickings for our best and worst of 2022 anime a year from now yeah and he will just take that spot right now i'm just calling it right now <laughs> we're gonna I look back on this episode in one year and we'll see <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I mean seeing the lineup for winter um i i don't think there are any other best boys that really stick out now we'll see but boji is definitely up there and even going back to our fall impressions um ranking of kings was a show that i just happened to mention at the end after we went through our list of the shows that we intended on watching. And I'm I'm very glad that we picked this one up because this ended up being one of my favorites out of fall. Um, it's just very, very wholesome. It really is. <laughs> and I'm glad that you mentioned it because I, looking at the list on mail, I immediately wrote this off as a kid's anime. I was like, oh, well. Oh, that's a kid show. <laughs> that's a kid show. Because um, Mal, at least the way I filter my stuff, like kid shows will pop up from time to time on Mal. So I was like, oh, it's probably just a kid show. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't normally watch this. Um, but you mentioned that there was a lot of talk about it, that the rating was really high. And when we actually took a good look at it, we realized it's not necessarily intended for kids because there is violence. There are some, not like adult as in like sexual themes, but just like mature themes overall. There's blood. Um, so there, there are parts of the show which easily make it not like a kids a true kids show yeah it's it's just like with boji itself the show you shouldn't judge you shouldn't judge the book by its cover um and i think a lot of it is just due to the very unique art style um it's sort of like 
I, I equate it to watching like 80s American cartoons in, in its art style or even like you've compared it to Disney or even like Studio Ghibli, but you can't let the art style fool you because there is still a very complex story um, in Ranking of Kings. A lot of political intrigue, I would say, um, just outside of Boji's quest to be the best version of himself. Um, but even with that, there is a very Disney-esque like, style to the way that this story is told, almost like a fairy tale. And it reminds me a little bit of, if everyone remembers like that, I don't even, not nursery rhyme, but just that children's story of the ugly duckling. <laughs> it's very similar in, I would say, like concept or, or moral of the story there. I, I, how do I describe this? Because I, I'm on, I'm on the same page as you. I would say it's like if Studio Ghibli or, and or Disney were to have been the ones to write Game of Thrones. It's like Game of Thrones mm, yeah. based story. Um, in a Disney slash Studio Ghibli package. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's if Game of Thrones aired on Nickelodeon instead of HBO. <laughs> but there was still a little bit of blood and yeah. other stuff that happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I agree about the, the animation. I, I wrote here such strange animation, but very unique and gorgeously done. The animation itself is very fluid. Um, and the character designs are super cool. No two characters truly look alike everyone has a very unique um, appearance and I love not only the drastic differences in those character appearances but also in their physical statures as well for example one of the most extreme differences is Boji and his father um, mm -hmm. King Boss Bo Bosu Boss 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 <laughs> um, obviously Boss is a giant a literal giant and Boji technically is too but because of what we learn in the um, episodes closer to the, the end of the first core, uh, he is much smaller than he really technically should be. So it does feel like a Game of Thrones fairy tale because of that animation style. Or it reminds me a lot of shows like the Powerpuff Girls or Dexter's Laboratory in character design and even style. Um, what was the guy's name? I think Craig McCracken the guy who created Puff, Puff Girls, but his his kind of art style, or Gendy Tartakovsky, I think that was the guy who did Dexter's Lab. Yeah, Tartakovsky. Oh, like the same dude, because that style was very popular back when mm -hmm. those shows were airing. And I think that's part of the reason why I love this show so much. It, it kind of has that nostalgic element to it, even though this is a completely new show. It's not like a retelling of a previous anime or whatever. Um, but yeah. I think I, it's it's imperative to complement with studio on adapting their their animation to this very stylistic palette because um, this is obviously vastly different from stuff they've done in the past like Attack on Titan or Vinland Saga um, and the way they approach this it makes it feel and not feel like an anime at the same time which is incredibly confusing, but also <laughs> just intriguing to me. Yeah, the story as a whole has a lot of heart. And with, I'm sorry, with Studio. Yeah. Yeah, with Studio. I for some, for some reason um, thought I was incorrect on that. But yes, with Studio um, just does a great job of making you feel that heart, making you feel that warmth, even when what's happening on screen is very, very cold. Um, just to use that that analogy and the score 
is so good in the show. And normally I don't notice those kinds of things because you're more of the music person than I am. But I definitely notice the, notice the the soundtrack or the the score here because it just it it does an amazing job of enhancing everything that's happening in this world and giving you kind of that medieval type feel, that fairy tale type of feel without without forgetting that it's an anime. Yeah, that's a good way to put it because it feels like the score feels Disney esque but still has the the anime part of it that tugs at the heartstrings, I would say. 100%. And as I'm looking at the character list here, this is going to be interesting because I think it seems like the localization or the English names for some characters is like up for debate because like Despa, we kept seeing it subtitled as like D-E-S-P-A, but then I've also Mm -hmm. seen it subtitled as like Death-Par, Death-Par, I don't fucking know. Um, so we're going to go with whatever names we think of first. <laughs> so if you if you call these characters by slightly different names, I think we all know um, who we're talking about at any given point. So let's get into it. Um, let's go through the synopsis and dive right into Ranking of Kings. All right. So to begin, Ranking of Kings is the 2021 anime adaptation of a Japanese fantasy manga series by Sosuke Toka, produced by Wit Studio and directed by Yosuke Hata. The story focuses on a young prince named Boji who seeks to show his kingdom what he is capable of despite his perceived shortcomings. And quick little bit of trivia is that the Tokyo Federation for the Deaf actually supervised the sign language depicted in the show, which I thought was very interesting because it's it's not just these characters making, like, you know, like in certain shows they'll make up languages or whatever or or use different hand gestures. Um, here, they're actually adapting a sign language system that was incorporated in the show. Um, this kind of reminds me of, uh, here's my Star Wars reference for the episode, <laughs> um, the Mandalorian with the Tusken Raiders, or they're, they're known as Sand People. They communicate, I think, using American Sign Language. So interesting that here, an anime is using the same sort of concept in adapting I guess, Japan's sign language system for the show. Yeah, I love that. I I just think that it's, I wouldn't call it like a minor detail in the show because it it plays a really big part in the show, but it's not like a a focal point of the story. But the fact that they took the time to be as real and as accurate as possible just makes you feel more connected to the story, Uh, makes it feel more authentic than them just trying to pull some shit out of their ass. Yeah. And so in episode one, the prince's new clothes. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. When you play the Ranking of Kings, it's pretty much the same thing. Our story starts off with deaf mute Prince Boji, who has a chance encounter with a black blob named Kage, originally intent on robbing the royal runt, but develops a liking to him as he learns of the prince's struggle to become accepted within his kingdom and to stand up to his much more capable brother, Prince Dida, Discount Joffrey, Jaeger. And I say Jaeger because we found out later that Dida is voiced by Yuki Kaji, who is also the voice of Eren Jaeger from Attack on Titan. <laughs> How perfect, because we talked about Attack on Titan a little bit ago. Um, but let's, of course, start off with the OP and ED. Yes. So the OP, the title of the song is Boy by king new and immediately we all thought <laughs> kratos yes uh, every time i see the word boy i read it in 
Kratos's voice. Yeah, thank you, God of War, for that <laughs> one. <laughs> um, interesting thing with King New, um, they were a Japanese band formed in 2013, but they had two previous names. Um, the first name, Mrs. Vinci, and then later, S or is this Serv S R V? The acronym or not acronym abbreviation Servant Vinci. I want to say maybe. And then in 2017, they renamed themselves to King New. Sounds like they're having an identity crisis. Yeah, and <laughs> again, I don't know where Japanese bands get their their names. And I've talked about this before. Like official hige dandism. Yes. What the fuck or is that? The... Like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, or fear and loathing in Las Vegas, which that, I know is a movie, but that extra comma makes all the difference, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if they just chose King New to do the op here just because they had the name king <laughs> and their <laughs> their band name um i digress uh this op it like the music doesn't really fit with the show's aesthetic or even with this with the op's visuals but i i kind of dig it it's immediately on your spotify playlist don't yes. be shy you love it i know you do. no i i do <laughs> and you know it it as much as I love it, we've talked about this many times. There's still something that sounds really strange in this song, and we tr- we've tried to pinpoint it um, in our many discussions. Uh, I think we talked about like the the lead singer's voice is sort of I don't know if it's distorted or just the way that he sings, like auto tuned or something. A little bit, but like listening to it closer, I think it's also the strings. They have some sort of effect, like running through them where they also sound sound distorted or if they're like being played on like an electric violin yeah here's here's my beef with this uh this op in terms of song i i want so badly to just love the song because i like it a lot but i can't cross that line to loving it because it's like audio overload for me there are one too many sounds happening in this song they need to get rid of one instrument like just pick one pick one instrument and get rid of it because it just sounds like they have one too many instruments competing with each other plus the way that they um render the the singer's voice perhaps also kind of clashes with all of these noises so i i'm like so close to just being totally in love with the song i just need them to get rid of one fucking instrument it's just it's too much noise at times Mm -hmm. especially at the end of the op where like it sounds like the strings are like an electric violin kind of like closes yeah. out the song. And I'm like, that's the noise that they should probably get rid of. I, I think it's just the strings are a little bit too loud. Or I like think, aggressive. Yeah. Um, they, they come out too strong out the gate. Um, but I, again, I still love this song. And it, it has a very touching message in its lyrics. Um, just basically talking about achieving... Or like crossing your obstacles and like not taking the easy way out. So very synonymous with what Boji's journey is throughout the series. And you see you see our best boy just gallivanting throughout this OP. Just yeah, walking. visuals are, yeah. are great. Like that <laughs> that opening shot of just like his lower half where he's just proudly walking down and then the second shot is of his face, but like super zoomed in. It's just it feels so good. Like it, you just know you're a part of Bochi's journey. Like that's that's what's going on here, and um, it's just a great reflection of what you're getting into each episode. And I'm pretty sure it starts off with Bochi just walking by himself, and then Kage eventually joins him, and then at the very end of the OP, 
you have this whole crowd of people like some of the main or some of the characters in the show joining him so it's like they are supporting him in this journey as we'll see again with these first 11 episodes and of course just commenting on the very different but very beautiful um art style especially with the way like the watercolor backgrounds or like the backgrounds look like watercolor paintings and at some points it it even reminded me of like legend of zelda yeah i get those vibes too and on to the ed the title of that song is oz by yama although it's oz period i don't know if that's an abbreviation for something i was thinking alongside like the the land of oz from the wizard of oz just to keep in line with the fantasy theme um it's a slow rock ballad this one i think is focused more on the connection between kage and boji um and like finding each other at like the lowest or like the loneliest points of their lives and even here the the visual aesthetic is similar to the rest of the show but it's drawn or animated more so like a children's storybook um like which i kind of appreciate that style and you, you kind of see boji and kage do their own different things and then eventually they reunite or they unite together in the ed and and share in their hopes and dreams i guess they're hanging out having fun eating apps <laughs> yeah i love the art style it's, it's a great fit with that storybook-esque type of visual um for a story about kings which i mean it, right now it's like a little less about kings but i, I imagine at some point we'll learn more about the kings because it's called ranking of kings um and just to clarify i probably should have mentioned this earlier uh we are talking about episodes one through 11 in this review mm -hmm. because that's technically the first core for ranking of kings and then episodes 12 through 23 yeah 23 will be the second core um so i imagine they'll wrap up the story by the end of it who knows um but yes yeah, so it'll be one through 11 slightly unique set of episodes because it's not a full 24 episodes but anyway um Edie loved the art style the the song is fine i could take it or leave it i don't dislike it but yeah i don't like need it in my life either but it's on the spotify playlist <laughs> is it <laughs> i just added it because uh, listen i was listening to it as i was writing my notes i was like i i, I do enjoy this song <laughs> there you go that that's the the sign of a worthy op or ed is whether or not it makes it onto your spotify playlist mm -hmm. but yeah so this story um in, in this first episode it, it just came together really nicely um i thought it was a fantastic introductory episode for maybe not so much the overall lore of ranking of kings but just for boji's story for us to get a feel for who this protagonist is and i wrote in my notes that everything did come together nicely except the black blob it's completely out of place but also <laughs> feels like a part of the story at the same time which is just so strange to me because nothing kage looks like nothing else in this entire anime mm -hmm. but they did a good job of you know in this introductory episode making him feel like a natural part of this world yeah, to kind of go along with the Disney-esque feel of this show, as much as Kage looks nothing like anyone else um, in the series, he reminds me of uh, Phil from Hercules, who was sort of like Phil's right-hand man or his his marketing or PR guy. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, Phil, the tsundere of Disney. <laughs> yeah, voiced by Danny DeVito. Of course. <laughs> and even whoever voices Kage here 
Like his voice is just so out of place with again how Kage looks. It's Ayumu Murase. Um, I don't. I have to look at hit their filmography list, um, but just the way that they handle his introduction in this first episode and his interaction with Boji was like it was just great comedy, but also very heartwarming at the same time. Yeah, I. I don't know, man. Like this was just such a strong start for the series. Boji is absolutely precious, and we must protect him at all costs. He is best boy. Um, but I mean, talk about a way to introduce two main characters because one is robbing the other of all of all his possessions mm-hmm. and the one being robbed seems pretty naive to the whole thing, but he's just so sweet. He just, you can't fault him for it, I guess. Yeah. I think what prompted it was that Kage was able to understand Boji and I think vice versa Yeah, because it's established again that Boji is a deaf and a mute and so people have a hard time communicating with him or even like empathizing with him like we see that too when Boji walks through the village naked like people are just gossiping amongst themselves about him but and he has no real idea like he he knows mm-hmm. but like he kind of doesn't have a f- an idea of the full extent of what's going on around him yeah but then kage comes along and establishes that he's able to understand boji and i think that's what kind of clicks in boji's head and i think prompts him to want to become friends with kage even though he's this ugly amorphous blob <laughs> and i want to bring up the sign language again um in the context of this first episode it's it's so cool it was so well done um it feels just in this first episode because you think you don't often have a protagonist in anime or a lot of media that is both mute and deaf um so you'd feel like you know going into something like this those parts of the story will stick out for you, but it does not at all. It feels extremely natural because they don't really call attention to it or make a big deal out of it. It's just kind of a part of what's going on in Boji's world. Similar to if anyone has seen Josie the Tiger and the Fish um, and or if you've listened to our review episode on it, I mentioned uh, in in that discussion that they don't make a big deal about Josie needing a wheelchair um, and even moments when she's like maneuvering on the floor um, to get from, you know, one side of the room to the other. It just felt super natural and normal. So because they don't call attention to those things, it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. You just immediately accept that this is part of the world that they're creating um, and it all just fits very, very nicely. So props to them, the way they approached um, Boji's, um, you know, him being mute and deaf, the sign language, the quote unquote language or communication barrier that sometimes they experience um, and how people perceive Boji based on those things. It all just, I don't know, it, it was so well done. I just have to give props to them. And it's apparent with the, I guess, the denizens of the kingdom that they're they're a bit wary of Boji because of his inability to communicate um because he is deaf and mute um that they they sort of underestimate him or have this um very they're kind of like biased against him or they automatically assume things about him like this unjust bias against him yeah or unjust bias against him where in the beginning i think of this episode it it poses the question about like the criteria of the ranking of kings and then you have this shot of boji as a as a baby or as like an infant or toddler um and his mother his late mother is assuring him that he will be the greatest king in the world so it's 
I think a big like theme throughout the show is perception and the way that people, not just be, with the titular ranking of kings and how people would perceive certain kings to be ranked in like S tier, F tier, whatever, but just how characters perceive Boji or just virtues of strength in general because everyone has this certain view of what strength means or what it means to to rule properly and also the perception of and understanding certain characters true intentions like later on finding out with Bebin who I think was Dida's sword master him not actually being a bad guy although we're led to believe that he is far and away against Boji um, Queen Healing Healing being a sympathetic character or the perception of uh, Moranjo and Dida's relationship. Um, and I would say like every storyline that revolves around Boji or people's perspectives on Boji, it's perceived like they're perceiving his aspirations as either like a sign of hope or a looming threat. And so that's I think what makes Boji such an interesting character is this idea of how people are perceiving him instead of truly understanding what he is capable of. And you bring up a really important theme throughout this entire first 11 episodes, and I'm sure a theme for the entire series, is you never you never know someone's true nature. I think the only character whose true nature we can be um, assured about is Boji. He's, he's yeah. the only one that we know without a doubt um, is as it seems. Everyone else, and honestly, sometimes including Kage at, at certain points in the early episodes like you you don't know what to expect or you think you know what to expect about a character and they turn out to be the complete opposite it, it truly is the game of thrones of anime mm-hmm. there are twists and turns like that left and right and multiple flip-flops that happen for certain characters like by the end of episode 11 i still don't know if we're supposed to trust king boss or not like sometimes right. they portray him as a good character sometimes they portray him as an evil character and they flip-flop all the time so they're keeping you in kind of shrouded in mystery throughout the story and it's not frustrating by any means it's actually very interesting to me yeah especially i think even in this episode um i think Boji is summoned to speak to King Boss, and Boss treats him like like one of his most cherished uh, children, um, encouraging him to step up as a prince and and cherishing him. And I think in the next ep- or episode three, when the king passes away, he lists Boji as the successor to the throne. So you think of him as like this benevolent character, and then when you get the reveal that he's been resurrected, but seems more nefarious it's like what do you what should we really think about with king boss or how should we perceive him in this show yeah and we'll continue to talk about that as we go through these episodes because i i did make note of the various examples of when he's king boss is portrayed you know in a certain light um i also just want to kind of echo what you said a bit ago about um you know people's perception of budgie and whether or not he's worthy to rule the kingdom it seems like, again, we're still learning the lore behind Ranking of Kings um, and what literally the Ranking of Kings is, but it seems like it's based on strength, physical strength. And, of mm-hmm. course, we learn right away that that is not Boji's forte. Um, and this whole story is based on him proving that he is worthy to be a king when he doesn't have the physical strength that everyone expects a good king to have. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's such a cool story to me. I, I love that. I, I absolutely adore that Boji, even 11, 11 episodes in, does not have any physical strength. But he has other attributes that are 
arguably more important to be um, a king or a ruler of a nation. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to see where the story goes and how he uses those to his advantage. But with that said, um, that's jumping a little bit ahead, um, but let's move on to episode two. Actually, really oh, good. Oh, just before, kidding. <laughs> before <laughs> going to episode two, just to comment on that further, um, I think you have the absolute foil of Boji and Dida in his character does obviously Boji is like the smallest character on the show besides Kage. Um, and then you have Daido who looks like a King Joffrey knockoff, basically. 100% King Joffrey <laughs> vibes. As soon as he showed up in episode two, I was like, oh my God, it really is Game of Thrones. Yeah. And so he's representative, I think, of the this kind of thing you would want to, like the people would perceive as wanting to be um, the virtues of a king, um, which is... Like, I don't know what, what's the nice way of saying like snootiness. He's a little dick. That's what he is. He's an yeah. asshole in the beginning. Yeah, I guess commanding of respect is the nice way I'll put it. Um, <laughs> and then you obviously get his prowess with a sword. And you have this very interesting sword duel between Dida and Boji at the end, which style-wise was, was interesting because it was like I was watching, um, again, uh, like a Dexter's Laboratory version of a fight, but a lot more fluid. <laughs> um, but you you also see the the contrasting fighting styles where obviously Dida goes in aggressively, as again the public would expect a a person of of kingly standing should act, and then you have Bulgy who's just very adept at dodging, dipping and dodging. Yeah, what's that line from Dodgeball? Oh, the duck dive dodge dip I, I mean, i've only seen bits and pieces of dodgeball so was dodge it? dip duck dive and dodge yeah the five rules of dodgeball was that it i think so you oh my god dodgeball is so good you gotta watch that <laughs> so yeah in episode two now uh the prince and kage we learn more about the Black Blob's backstory as a budding member of the Shadow Clan of Assassins until he tragically loses his mother in battle. As he grows up on the hard streets of the kingdom, Kage develops a cynical worldview until his chance encounter with Best Boji, who holds his own in a sword battle against Discount Joffrey by constantly mashing the dodge button on his controller. After Boji's sword trainer Domas reprimands the prince for not putting up much of a fight, Kage steps out of the shadows to show best Boji that he will become his best buddy. Um, Right off the bat, I just have to say, it is a big risk giving complete backstory with just within the second episode to a character we know nothing about that also happens to be a black blob. But damn, they pulled it off. And I never thought I could for a black blob 100 <laughs> percent. i went from confused i mean I, I read off my note from episode one so i went from confused as fuck about this strange character to very much invested in kage like extremely invested in him and i think a big part of why this hit so hard his uh his backstory is the zero narration they just let the story play out and and allowed us to experience it through what we were witnessing on screen through his um, what was happening to him and, and through the emotions that came along with that so holy shit they they did such a great job like with episode two i i, I loved it yeah and even seeing like a, a younger version of kage as a black blob and <laughs> man, like watching his mother's death scene 
um, and him having to escape while he's holding on to his little giraffe toy. Oh, like, so sad. <laughs> like how how could I almost be tearing up for something that doesn't even have a body? <laughs> I, I can't explain, but they, like you said, the, the the writers just nailed it on the head here. How can we be so sympathetic to a thing that was literally robbing and taking advantage of Prince Bulgy in the previous episode? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, thankfully, Bulgy has that enough of a charm to give Kage that about face. But after watching this episode, episode two, I I just felt the excitement for Bulgy and Kage to prove everything, everyone wrong about the two of them. Like, I'm here for this. They're both awesome characters, and their friendship is going to be one of the best of anime 2022 by far. Because they, they give, there's, there's like an equal give and take here. Because Bulgy has a difficult time communicating with um with people and kind of being it's, i hate to say like being heard but like really being heard um with what he's you know striving to do with his um you know with his story here and kage is able to be that um that go between for him but not only that more importantly his cheerleader his best friend his um you know the person that keeps him going even when boji hits rock bottom multiple times and on the flip side of things kage is also immediately perceived as being a bad creature because Mm -hmm. technically his his family is a family of assassins boji is the only one that gave him a chance right off the bat even when kage was robbing him boji was still like okay i like you like i i know you're a good person at heart so they have this mutual understanding where no one else can truly understand them yeah and you you said the key word they're perceiving and perception um, I think that's what is so great about the story is, like you said, people perceive Kage and Boji in different ways, but us as the audience watching their stories, we know that they have hearts of gold. And one other example of perception I wanted to bring up here is I think there's a moment where the young Kage asks his mom about why or what it, why exactly, um, their i guess clan are are assassins or like what they do as assassins and his mom tells him we do whatever we can to serve the interests of the people who need us and i think that line sticks with kage but he perceives it in a different way in his relationship with bo with boji again like a different context from what was originally intended because he's not out to assassinate boji but he's still doing what he can to serve Boji's interests in a way that'll help him prosper. Protecting him and supporting him in in various ways, yeah. Mm -hmm. In episode three, the new king, best Boji's father, King Big Boss, passes away in a strange death scene with the devil cameoing out of the king's mouth. Despite listing Boji as successor to the throne, Queen Healing declares Discount Joffrey as king instead leaving Best Boji in poor spirits and Kage exiled by Discount Joffrey's swordmaster, Bebin. However, Healing shows a soft spot for the royal runt as she grants him permission to venture outside the kingdom to search for his black-blobbed buddy. So this is when we start to realize that some of these characters are not as they seem. Um, Right off the bat, Queen Healing seems cold. She's a, a fucking tsundere for sure. Um, and she seems cold against Boji, but we learn that she cares very much for him and treated him like a son when she first 
arrived into the kingdom, arrived into this family, um, and then even healing him after his duel with her son, Dida. And I just, I love that. I, I love that so much because, um, you know, I just, I love some of the days. I, I think it's great that, you know, she seems tough on the outside because she's a queen. She's, she's a leader in some context, but she cares so much about this little boy who, you know, lost his mother and now has a new woman moving into the, you know, his home, moving into his family. Um, and he's shy around her right off the bat, but she works very hard to get him to warm up to her and eventually trust her. Yeah, just like with Kagi's backstory, I think the show does so well at telling these backstories through these vignettes because we, we get that between like Healy, healing, um, introducing herself to Boji. And, you know, it's very heartwarming to see them, their relationship kindle, and then eventually it just deteriorates as she focuses more on Daida. But she still has that, that love for Boji um, inside her. Um, as she reflects on that moment. And of course, her name is Healing because she heals people. <laughs> I feel like not every character has like a, a play on words for a name. But um, I think in this case, this is a, a play on words with Healing being Queen Healing's power. Yeah, because she, she was the one. I think the episode started with someone healing Boji. And then it ends up being her. It's like, wow, this is... Is this tongue in cheek? And then you've got King <laughs> King Boss, um, which I assume I don't know. Maybe that's like he's he's the big boss of the land, yeah, because he's a big fucking giant. Um, so yeah, there's a, a couple of other characters that have that type of name. So we'll when we come across them. We'll we'll talk about them. Um, but uh, I want to read off my notes here because again, this is a perfect example of some of these characters not being as they seem. Because I wrote in my notes for episode three. Glad there's some characters that are firmly on Boji's side, like the giant snake and the spear guy. Well, shit, we learned that Apisu is not a, on... A, a piece of shit. Yeah, he's a piece <laughs> of shit. <laughs> Actually, there you go. That's another uh, play on words there. Yeah. piece is a, a piece of shit because he actually <laughs> betrays not only Boji, but Dida and healing as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I got I got baited right off the bat with a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then also, I think, Bebin... Um, He's like the way he's drawn, like you'd think he's the antagonistic character. But I think we learn here and throughout the rest of the episodes that he really is on Bulgy's side and sees his potential. Um, and yeah, tying back to the, the big serpent, I think its name is Mitsumata, says something along the lines of, There are many who cherish you because he's trying to comfort Bulgy. Um, and here again, perception comes into play. Because it seems like there are characters here who support Bulgy, but they're just afraid to speak up for him for fear of what others may think of their opinion. Yeah, and um, uh, it is something to note that in a later episode, Bebin makes it clear that you know he cares about Bulgy, but his loyalties still lie with Dida. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he said that, like nothing really happened after he said that, but the fact that he said that I feel like may come back at some point in the story. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But I do want to call out the fight scene here between, I think it was Bebin and Apis, right? They go one-on-one -on -one yeah. and the, uh, Apis stabs Bebin. Um, with Studio doing work with that fight scene, there's nothing over the top about the fight scenes and the action in this show, but all of the shots are very cool and the animation is clean as fuck clean as fuck like just watching Bebin and Apis duel was just so satisfying and again like there weren't 
some major over the top like facial expressions or like power moves or anything like that. It was just a dude fighting with a spear and a dude fighting with a sword. He had a sword, right, Bevan? Yes. That's all it was. And it it wasn't the most intense or fast-paced fight, but it looked clean as fuck. And that is just that's that's great to me. I I'm I'm fine with a a mediocre battle that looks <laughs> slick. <laughs> no, it's it's like you, you don't have those flashy anime backgrounds of them attacking each other you know what i'm talking about yeah like where it's like rapid fire lines on the screen yeah like (laughs) flashing colors and everything no this is just a battle in its purest form almost like watching medieval battles in like a movie or i'm thinking i don't know why i'm thinking of troy like the one with oh (laughs) or like gladiator all of those like greek spartan films like again there's there's no style in it it just shows the combat in its most brutal form. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be very out of place if they did some like big power battle um, here because that wouldn't fit at all. Um, we may get some down the line. I don't know because some of these characters have really unique abilities. But for this particular fight, I, I was very impressed with the way that they portrayed it. It was short and sweet, and that's all we needed. In this episode, too, we do get a glimpse into the frustration that Boji experiences, um, like not being able to communicate as freely as he wants to because of his deafness and his muteness. Um, I don't know if that's is muteness a word. I'm guessing it is. Whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, he never, ever lets any of that keep him down. His positivity and his optimism throughout this whole show are contagious. And it just it's another reason he's best boy and he must be protected. Also, his little turtle smile. I don't know what you call it. Yeah, what it. the fuck? I thought that was so <laughs> weird at first, but watching him actually, like, in motion, I love it. I don't know why he's got a V for a mouth, but it, it works no, great No, yeah, it's, it's, it's very endearing. Little buddy buddy. And then, by the way, the reason we call him little buddy buddy is because um, we sent a Snapchat of Ranking of Kings um, to my sisters, and one of my sisters replied saying, who's that little buddy buddy? I like him. And I'm like, oh, that's, a, that's nice. <laughs> He is little buddy buddy. <laughs> Boji Boji is buddy buddy. <laughs> um, last thing about this episode uh, to kind of tie in with the, the previous note. Um, we also kind of experience Boji's world from the things and events around him. Because, sure, he's he's mute, so he doesn't speak. But he also doesn't have an inner, di- uh, inner monologue. So, like, not only does he not have any dialogue. Well, he kind of has dialogue, but not, like... Mm-hmm the typical kind of dialogue. Um, he also doesn't have an inner monologue. They could have gone that route, right? They could have decided to give him an inner monologue to make it easier to just tell the audience what we need to know. But I like that they didn't do that. Because other characters who aren't mute, which is every other character, they do have inner monologues. We do get to peer into their minds from time to time. But with Boji, we never have that opportunity. And... I like that because it it really kind of emphasizes him being mute, him being deaf, um, and kind of how he needs to maneuver through the world because of those things. The way I perceive it is that, no, again, I use perceive. That's the that's the word of this episode, perceive <laughs> or perception. But the way I look at it is that with Boji, whatever he's thinking, like he he's genuine in his responses. Like we know immediately what he's thinking by what he's emulating um so i think that's where i would say like the per- the performance and the way that his and like his demeanors and emotions are captured like they s- 
speak for him in that sense. That's a really good point. I didn't think about that. We don't need an inner monologue because right. he says exactly what he means every single time. There's no question about it. Which I mean, is, we again, get, why yeah. we feel he's the only genuine character that we can, you know, concretely say is who we think he is. Yeah. I mean, granted, Kage does translate for him from time to time for, for the other characters on the show. But I think us as the audience, we can we can kind of put together what Boji is trying to say or emulate in a given moment. Yeah, and props to his voice actor for just doing a great job with when he is communicating in the way that he communicates. Um, I think that they do a great job with that. Yeah. Um, to give him credit, it's Minami, Minami Hinata who voices Boji. Um, Wiki doesn't actually list their filmography, so I can't tell you off the bat the other roles that they've uh, they've been in, but... Just wanted to give credit where credit is due. In episode four, the first trip, Best Boji begins his travels with Domas and companion Hokuro as we learn more about the sword trainer's peculiar peculiar past with the petite prince. After the trio's strange encounter with a crazed birdman king and a surprise dagger attack from an unknown assailant, they arrive at the volcanic gates to the kingdom of the underworld, where Domas earns the title of Best Betrayer as he pushes Boji down the fiery chasm, you fucking piece of royal dog shit. Meanwhile, Discount Joffrey begins taking terrible advice from a mirror and ventures down a dungeon in search of a way to prove to his constituents and the audience that he's not a shitty king. So here we have another play, our, our assumed play on words, or maybe our made-up play on words. Just like Apis is a, a piece of shit, um, Domas is a total dumbass. dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it works, you know? It, it yes, works so that we can does. cope with what the fuck he did top 10 in anime episode four. betrayals. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I would put this up there in the top 10, <laughs> as memed as that is. Um, damn, though, Domas really did Boji dirty and then cried and said sorry to him. And I'm just like fuming watching this episode. We're only four episodes in and I am fully emotionally invested in this story by this point. Yeah, which I'm kind of glad after this point, Bo or not Bo uh, Domas just seems so conflicted about what he's done and that he has to live with that guilt to the point where he like mutilates himself over it. But... I don't feel any sympathy for you, man. Like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this kind of plays into what you mentioned um, a bit ago. So we learn from the giant snake um, that there are many people who care for Boji. And honestly, I watching these first 11 episodes, I feel like almost everyone in the show does care about Boji. How can you not, right? But they're conflicted between caring for Boji and doing what they feel is quote-unquote right Mm -hmm. um like domas we see in this episode had a special bond with boji and even cried happy tears when boji warmly accepted his use of sign language um but something drove him to betray boji and he's torn by it so it's just like you know he is he it's them deciding is he worthy of being a king um or are we loyal enough to him to just follow him and see kind of what happens if he becomes king even in um, Dido's dream, I think in this episode, he's so happy to see Boji and is worried about him um, when he gets attacked by like those black arms or whatever that, that mm -hmm. show up in the dream. Um, so Dida acts coldly, you know, as the child of a Sunday would <laughs> to his uh, his half brother. But 
in, in the truth of things, he does care very much about Bulgy. So again, it's, it's grappling with caring for Bulgy versus what they think is best for the kingdom through, you know, whoever is crowned king. And it seems like, or at least first couple episodes, you see this mirror. Um, I think the name is Miranjo starting to come into play. And I, like, I think she's the one who's sort of pulling the strings in making sure that Boji remains off the throne. Um, at first, we think that she's helping Daida get onto the throne. Then we learn later that she's trying to re- resurrect King Boss. So it's not clear what her end game is, but I think a lot of the actions that sort of these characters are taking in offense to Boji or against Boji is because of her doing, but we'll see. Yeah, and um, going back to that theme of, you know, people aren't what they appear to be, Domas is an interesting character, again, by the end of episode 11, because he's flip-flopped. So he starts off as, like, a character that, you know, seems like he's on Boji's side. Then, of course, he goes and betrays Boji and shoves him into the fire pit. So then you're, like, anti-Domas, right? But then in a few episodes, we'll see him almost kind of start his redemption arc when King Boss you know, through Dido's body, like, decides to let him go. And he's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll help you guys out. Like, I'm trying to redeem myself for what I did earlier. Um, so I'm curious to know where Domas's story actually ends up. You know, is he Team Boji or is he not Team Boji? Um, because like Boss, he he's a character that continues to flip between the two sides of things. Like, is he is he antagonist material or is he protagonist material? Yeah. Not protagonist, but you know what I mean, like yeah. on that side of things. One scene I just wanted to call out is when the other the other companion with Bojin Domas Hokuro, um, he recalls a memory of Boji comforting him at a cemetery. I free I one of his loved ones, or I think his mother or someone had passed away, and Boji approaches him and places a flower at his loved one's graves, or at Hokuro's loved one's grave after visiting Boji's uh, uh, own mother's grave. I just thought that was a very heartwarming, sentimental scene. And again, just establishes Boji as best boy with his actions. And yeah, I, I really enjoy um, his character, Hokuro, because he he sees what's going on, you know, with this kind of riff happening in the kingdom, but he knows the way Boji has treated him and the type of person Boji is, and he, without a doubt, is sided with Boji, whereas other other characters are clearly grappling with, you know, their their set of morals. Yeah, I think he's one of the few characters who remains steadfast in supporting Boji, so good guy Hokuro. Dumbass Domas. (laughs) In episode 5, Intertwining Plots, don't fret, dear listeners, for best Boji is alive and well thanks to his best buddy Kage who had the royal runt under his watchful eye the whole time per Bebin's orders. The pair traveled together into the kingdom of the underworld and seek counsel from its uncanny king, who recognizes Boji as the son of Big Boss. Back in the dungeon, Discount Joffrey refuses to drink an elixir to gain Big Boss's power against the mirror bitch's wishes, intending to reach his S-tier ranking of his own accord. Part of his plan seemed to be instructing Domas to snuff Boji, and Hokuro unsuccessfully seeks vengeance for the petite prince against his shitty sword trainer. Although Domas goes full Luke Skywalker by slicing off his severed right hand in some twisted form of self-punishment. 
I was pleasantly surprised by Dida in this episode. He, first of all, scolds Domas for betraying Boji by um, voting against him when they were deciding the next king. Uh, but it still is unclear, I think, at this point, if Dida actually told Domas to kill Boji or not. So that, mm -hmm. that's kind of a gray area. Um, and then we also see Dida go against the mirror and not drink that potion that she concocted, saying that he would rank up um, of his own accord. You know, so the ranking of kings yeah and the whole the whole potion part of this episode was very long and convoluted um and he kind of didn't even fucking drink it in the end yeah but i think the point is to show us that dida like everyone else is not what he seems um he has his goals in mind but he's not willing to acquire them or obtain them at by any means he still has you know his dignity and all that stuff because i think he remembers something that bevan said to him where it um it's in any endeavor there's never an easy path um and see that you are not deceived clearly that's what's happening with miranjo and although the first couple episodes died i kind of bends to her will i think now he's starting to realize the error of his ways in doing that and so he's trying to back off a bit but i think he's so far into that game now that there's no turning back because miranjo kind of forces his hand in these next coming episodes. Yeah, because a piece of shit shows up. Yes, ruins it for everyone. <laughs> um, we also learned in this episode that uh, Bebin um, wanted Kage to protect Boji. I, I mean, Boji being alive and Kage not, you know, actually turning against Boji, those were pretty predictable. But I can forgive it because there's a lot of unpredictable parts of this story. So not every single aspect of the story is going to be you know that well written but you know it's fine as long as boji's alive and as long as kage is still with him then i'm all good um but yeah i i would think that daida has a heart of gold because his mom and bevan probably have had a, a positive influence on him um, which is probably what led us to be surprised by his actions um in this episode in episode six the king of the underworld after the underworld king Desha tests best Boji's dodging capabilities, he decides that the royal runt is a hopeless cause despite Kage's relentless marketing for the prince. The captain of Desha's knights, however, shows compassion for Boji and directs them to visit Desha's brother Despa, who is actually capable of training Boji for greatness. Back in the kingdom, the mirror bitch blackmails the king's right hand apiece to force Discount Joffrey to consume Big Boss's secret stuff elixir but something tells me that it has some side effects that aren't FDA approved. Um, so many plot twists, like a lot happening by episode six. Um, again, it's it's just very difficult to follow, or not to follow, but to know who to trust other than Boji and mostly Kage. Um, but we do learn in this episode that Boji inherited a a great talent from his father that just so happens to be more of a. Uh, a defense type of thing versus mm -hmm. like an offense type of thing and it's something that people didn't expect it's dodging and it's interesting when desha questions how he can defeat his enemies using this talent um because that's kind of the the big question of this entire journey but as i mentioned earlier like i expect boji will find a clever way to use it or find you know another means of bringing value as king that doesn't involve that typical physical strength I think the gamers in us know that after a dodge, you always counter. <laughs> so <laughs> thankfully, I think that's basically what Despa trains uh, Boji to do once we're introduced to Despa and 
well, geez, I guess training arc. Um, I wanted to note that I'm pretty sure Desha, the king of the underworld, mentions that he is also the son of King Boss. Did you catch that? No. What? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he mentioned it. Like after he learns that Boji is Boss's son, he also says that he's a son of Boss. I don't know if he was lying, but I wrote that in my notes once I heard it. I don't remember that. That's interesting. Well, yeah. I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. I don't know. <laughs> Um, the other thing that I noted here, this is a this is an issue that I always find with shonen protagonists, but it's that Boji always cries, but I think he has reason to cry because he's actually trying his best compared to to, to Tanjiro, Tan- Takemichi, Midoriya, <laughs> yeah, the big three crybabies. Yeah, they always feel like they're set back by something. Boji never i he never shows that he's being set back like we we see his dodging abilities and we see that potential in him he knows he has that potential he's only crying because other people do not see that potential in him yeah and i can understand why that's frustrating so fuck all these other shonen protagonists (laughs) like boji is crying for the right reasons and then last thing i want to quickly note is despa his introduction at the end of this episode I we I think we were all expecting some sinister person um to to come out but really it's it's this blonde guy with really big pantaloons <laughs> and there again is perception <laughs> like yeah we we didn't think he was despo was going to look like especially cuz he lives in the underworld like who who knows what sort of creatures you would encounter in the underworld but then you have this guy who looks like he he lives on the outer world. The outer <laughs> world. The upper world. <laughs> the wherever. The upper world. <laughs> like someone straight out of um, Asgard. <laughs> I don't know. In episode seven, the prince's apprenticeship, the vain but skillful sword trainer Despa hesitates to take best Boji in as apprentice until Kage entices him with his life savings and muses that he will need to train the prince through unconventional means to enhance his strength. Through a bizarre breakfast scene, we learn that Boji has a stomach of steel commonly associated with giants, and thus he is instructed to stay as far away from the kitchen as possible. As Kage gets an extraordinary glimpse of Boji's increasing strength, we learn that the elixir Discount Jeffrey consumed Discount Joffrey consumed <laughs> did not give him Big Boss's power. It gives him Big Boss's persona instead. This is a really funny episode. Um, the comedy was high in this episode. Uh, I I was worried, and I, w- I pretty much still am, but I was worried throughout this arc that Despa would turn out to be a bad guy because, again, it's a reoccurring theme um, that some people are not what they appear to be, as we've learned with a bunch of other characters. But by the end of this arc, and I, th- I think a few episodes, we learned that ultimately he is a good guy. He genuinely did help Boji. Um, but they had us a couple times. There were a couple of times in this yeah. arc where they were like, are you sure Des was a good guy? Are you sure? Um, but we know for a fact that Kage is a true fr- uh, true friend, giving up everything to support Boji. Um, and so far, really not asking for much in return. He, he kind of hasn't, right? Yeah. He doesn't ask for a commission from He's Boji. just so excited <laughs> to see Boji succeed, and that's what makes him such a great friend. Yeah, the kitchen scene in this one was great. 
especially because I think Boji tests out some of the things that he's concocting, and he thinks it tastes great. Yeah. Again, perception, <laughs> perception for us here, and so we think he's this amazing cook, and then um, Despo and Kage have a have a bite of it, and their faces just they turn putrid. I thought they were going to go with like, oh my God, it's actually really delicious. But no, they, they stuck with it that it was just as gross as it looked. But what I love and kind of the big takeaway about the breakfast scene is that, um, you know, as you mentioned, Boji is a giant. This is another moment where we get um, concrete evidence that yes, he is of giant descent. It's, it's the dodging, I think, that's kind of the first real um, piece of evidence at him being a giant, but here we get kind of our, our second big piece of evidence that he can stomach things that normal humans cannot. And I think in the very next episode, we, I, if I understand correctly, we learn why Boji has these, these shortcomings, um, despite his his giant blood. And speaking of the next episode, episode eight, the sacrifice of dreams. In a flashback, we learn that Big Boss makes a deal with the devil under the mirror bitch's recommendation and sires a son with a giant, allowing him to steal and harness extra power from a blood relative. Upon best Boji's birth, however, he opens up his gentler side and vows to set Boji up for life. In the present, the mirror bitch continues with her anime scheming and arranges for Discount Joffrey to have Queen Healing assassinated. The queen has Hokuro executed as a scapegoat in Boji's demise, until a reformed dumbass comes to the rescue and Discount Joffrey reveals his big boss persona and Boji's real status. Babin, previously presumed dead from a battle with a piece of shit, is shown being cared for by a three-headed serpent friend Mitsumata, while the real Discount Joffrey is shown stuck in a void darker than his already dark soul. This episode had me extremely confused. I was like, does Boss care for Boji and not for Dida? Like, they, they make him seem evil in this episode, or maybe the previous episode. Um, and then now we find out his new mission in life is to give Boji everything he could ever want, like a good dad would. But, like, mm -hmm. maybe that's the guilt talking because he took all of Boji's strength. Um, and then Boss goes and says he wants to assassinate Healing and let Domas go. And I'm like, what is fucking happening? Like, yeah. his decisions are so strange to me. They it's don't make any yeah. sense. It's always flip-flopping, but I think it's important to acknowledge that a, a lot of his brash decisions, especially making the deal with the devil, like I said, I think it was because of Miranjo's suggestion. And so that's more of her corrupting his way of thinking. And then once he sees the precious little thing that Boji is, that's where he goes back to his, like he goes to his change of heart and becomes more genuine. And I think with the present day, it's Miranjo exerting her influence again on Boss by making him do these really unjust things. Yeah, man, I don't know where we stand with Boss. I, I just, I don't know. Where I think, we... yeah, it's everyone's like, whenever someone's under the mirror spell, they start acting irrationally, I think. Yeah. Well, um, I guess my only other question about episode eight, um, did Boji just fall out of his mom's vagina when she gave birth what to him? Because fuck? he is so tiny and she is so huge. Like, look at the size difference. She like holds him in her hand and he's like a little, just like, 
a little pea in his hand or in her hand, like a, a little, little grain of oh, rice like, or something. <laughs> oh, like a pea from like a pea pod? Yeah, like a pea pod. Oh, like, like, like a little like a, a little bean, a little bean in, in her hand. You know, it's, it was... It's like, here's my baby I just birthed because it just fell out of my crotch. <laughs> you know, it was probably like when in SpongeBob, Patrick like poops out all the chocolate from his pants and then a little kiss, Hershey's kiss comes yeah, out. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, I, that's probably how Boji... <laughs> Um, exited the womb. like oh my god it's just when i saw that i know it shouldn't be the first thing i thought but it was the first thing i thought i was like how did that birth happen <laughs> asking the real questions <laughs> one more thing i want to note about this episode is how important this three-headed snake is becoming uh mitsumata um we learn here that it's like it's this serpent that's been taking care of bebin um and we find out like how intertwined Bebin and Boji are with this serpent story. I'm pretty sure in an earlier episode we saw Boji, um, I think healing misinterpreted that Boji was hurt by this uh, Mitsumata. And so she like kicks it to death and then Boji started crying. And so uh, healing used her healing powers to bring Mitsumata back to life. So at that point um, the serpent had like a life debt um, to Boji and I think something similar happened with Bebin um, where Bebin saved Mitsumata's life and so he's indebted to both of these characters and it's just great to see like like this, this serpent is all grown up and, and is acting true on his word by taking care of Bebin and also ensuring that Boji is, is safe and alive but again perception you would think a, a serpent is like the deadliest creature in this kingdom when it really has a heart of gold. They also showed us that moment um, in like one of the early episodes where Boji's dodging the snakes, but they don't give you context. So it looks like he's being attacked by the snakes, but we find out later that the little snakes are actually helping to train him through oh, yeah. the command of, what was it? Ma Mitsumata. Mitsumata. I almost said Matsumoto, which I think is the the sidekick in BB Fluoride Ice song. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> or I'm Whitney like, Haggis Matsumoto there you go. from Bebop. <laughs> In episode 9, The Queen and the Shield, Queen Healing faints upon the news of Big Boss's possession of Discount Joffrey's body, and the king sicks some feral underworld beasts on her as she recovers. Healing's bodyguard, bodyguard Dorsch nobly defends the queen's honor as he goes full-on Hulk and conspires with the queen to get the real Discount Joffrey back. As Mirror Bitch continues scheming with Discount Big Boss to get whatever the fuck she desires, Healing's motherly senses begin hearing Discount Joffrey screaming for help within his earthly body, causing her to hysterically order Dorsch to cut him out from the body. As Discount Big Boss exiles the queen for her heinous acts, Discount Joffrey assumes the fetal position within the void, wondering aloud if his helplessness is what Boji experiences on the daily. Newsflash, my friend, he does not, for he is forever best Boji. This episode was, um, in terms of pacing, kind of erratic. Like, there were a lot of cuts between different situations. Um, so it was a little bit difficult to follow. Uh, but really the, the highlight of this episode, and I think what Ranking of Kings has truly blessed us with, is Baby Boji and his cheeks. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, they, they just needed to make, like, most anime characters, when they show them as babies, they just give them, like, bigger eyes and a smaller face. They actually gave him much bigger cheeks. And... I love it so much. I hope they make a figure of baby, baby Bulgy with the with the big cheeks <laughs> because I will buy a hundred of them. 
I also want to give another shout out to Healing, the Sundare with a heart of gold, um, who cares about both Daida and Boji. She's awesome. Like to go up against her husband that she probably cared about and was probably really sad, like that he died and stuff. Um, must... he died because <laughs> he's not dead. I don't know. It like dampens his death. Uh, but I can only imagine how difficult that is. Like first she had to send Boji off on an adventure and then Dida is like possessed by her dead husband. And now she's going to go up against her dead husband, um, who is, in, you know, embodying her son. I, she's a, a very strong character all, through and through. And even when she's in the face, you know, kind of like facing death. She's still not backing down, you know, when things happen to her. So, yeah, I just want to give her props. She's great. Yeah, she's had to put <laughs> up with a lot of shit She really show. has. A hundred percent she and, has. And now she's being exiled while she's still fearing for her son's lives. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking Man. of her son, seeing him in that emptiness, um, I, I took note of him saying this is what it must feel like to be in Boji's world. Um, I thought that was interesting. It was kind of a... I don't know, maybe an eye-opening experience for Prince Dida because he's kind of had an estranged relationship with Boji. We do see, I think in the next episode or the the final episode of this core, um, that he was close with Boji back in the day. Yeah. But through the influence of, was it Miranjo? Mm-hmm. He started to have more of an estranged relationship with his, his older brother. And I wrote here, I forgot this uh, point, is that I think in this scene where he assumes the fetal position. He swears that he will kill Miranjo for everything that's going on. Although in the last part of this first part, or part one, um, he encounters a young Miranjo and kind of throws that sentiment out the window, which is very interesting. I don't know if that's, again, her powers at play to sway Dida back to her side, but... I made a note of it here that he was actually anti-Miranjo starting from this point. But also, part of me is like, Dada, you got to kind of take responsibility for believing her. Yeah. Like, that's one thing that she tricked you, but also you believed her. You fell for, for that trap. So You fell for it, fool. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a little onus on you, Dida, but, you know, it's fine. You're freaking out about being in the emptiness, the, the void. So maybe it was an oversight on your part. <laughs> In episode 10, The Prince's Sword, Despa and Kage celebrate the conclusion of Best Boji's training, and the Petite Prince reveals his primary weapon as the almighty, all-powerful fencing sword. Despa pays off some lowly thugs to demonstrate Boji's new prowess at a local, local pub, and the prince subsequently explains to Kage that his skills with the dodge button were thanks to his serpent friend Mitsumata, whom he helped rescue at a young age. Kage, in turn, informs the royal runt of the current turmoil within the kingdom and of healing's exiled status, which prompts Boji's resolve to return home and restore the balance. Well, look at that rat being eaten by a feral knight. Take heed, best Boji, for something wicked this way comes. I'm really glad that Despa wasn't a fraud that we find out here in episode 10. As I, I mentioned, thought it was going to go that way. 100%. Yeah. I did, too. I was worried about that the whole arc, as I mentioned earlier, and I actually thought... 
that that would be too obvious to make him betray yeah. Boji. Um, again, they, they gave us some moments where you, you kind of like are unsure about Despa, especially in this episode where we see him pay off those guys, but then you find out it's not to fake a fight, but it, it's to pick a fight with him to give Boji a reason to try out his new skills. Um, so we haven't seen the extent of Boji's new abilities or new training yet, but um, yeah, it's it was... It was nice to breathe a sigh of relief that here we have a character that didn't end up being another plot twist. And that fight scene was just great as well with finally getting to see um, Boji's potential. I just love how he had the the weak punches against the Aban. I think they're the Aban brothers. Um, But they were effective enough because I think he was hitting the weak spot of their jaws. But at the same time, there's a very pathetic punching sound <laughs> that they use for Boji's punches. <laughs> it, it, again, perception. You think it's weak, but really, they, they do pack a punch. I absolutely love this aspect of Ranking of Kings, this, this part of the story that they're telling. Because you think about other shonen protagonists, other protagonists like Boji, um, you've got Midoriya, for example, from My Hero Academia, who starts off with no powers and then gets powers and can power up from there, can can become stronger from there. Boji's not like all of those other protagonists. He has abilities, but there's no real clear path on how he can become stronger, per se. Um and even here, after this whole training arc, after all the mystery behind what Boji was doing with Despa to get, um, to, to, you know, enhance his abilities, he still has no strength. He can barely mm-hmm. punch, but he finds a unique way to use the skills that he already has. I just, I love that. It is so incredibly refreshing, given the same cliche we see all the time in anime with these types of protagonists. Like, just a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it's it's a lot of what you'd expect of Boji. Nothing out of the ordinary here, as with, I guess, other shonen protagonists. Or it's like, I don't know, with Tanjiro, like he gains water breathing. Um, Tanjiro from Demon Slayer, for those who may not know. Um, he gains water breathing and all this stuff and like powers up from there. Boji is good at dodging, like very unexpected things. Like he, mm-hmm. he can't land a punch no matter how much he trains. His, his forte is dodging. So like, yeah, he may not be able to inflict any damage, but he can avoid all damage on his end. It's just, I don't know. I, I just love it so much. I love clever writing or clever pieces to a story like this. And I, I think that's one of the things, besides Boji himself and his friendship with Kage, that keeps drawing me back to Ranking of Kings episode after episode. I want to see how, you know, the, the other clever things that they do with this story. And in the final episode of this first part, episode 11, Older and Younger Brothers, as we bear witness to Best Boji and Discount Joffrey's deteriorating relationship through the years thanks to Mirror Bitch, the trapped Discount Joffrey has a hallucination within the void of a younger, vulnerable Mirror Bitch and vows to protect her as they struggle to find a way out. King Desha notes the growing disappearance of underworld creatures and criminals including the feral sword king from the last episode, thanks to Mirabitch's scheming, and so plans to retrieve them from Big Boss's kingdom whilst attempting to seize the kingdom in the throes of its civil war. Boji and Kage join Desha's conflicted knight captain in their trek back to the kingdom 
as the exiled healing Dorsh, Domas, and Hokuro approach separately from their respective locations, all while Discount Big Boss is surrounded by six underworld criminals in his castle. We're in the end game of Thrones now, folks. Again, you never know who or what to believe. Here we see Desha wanting to do a good thing by getting all the criminals back, but then also take advantage of the confusion to take over the kingdom. And so um, that's where I wanted to bring up again that is this because Desha claims to be one of King Boss's sons and has a right to the throne? Or is that was that just like a dangling plot thread? Or did I like skip the fact that he might have been lying? Um, yeah, I don't know, because I thought just from appearances alone that Desha was older than Boss. <laughs> yeah, or I but thought, like, like, I don't fucking yeah. know how old they are. <laughs> yeah, I thought, like, they were brothers or something, but I just remember hearing Desha say that he was his son. So is Despa also one of his sons? Because they're brothers. Uh, oh. They don't indicate that they're, like, <laughs> half-brothers. They just indicate that, like, they were born with very different genes. Maybe I just misheard something. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see in the, the next core um, if that is a, a piece of the puzzle here. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm not I'm not surprised that Desha wants to do something like that. It's just interesting that he wants to do a good thing, bring the criminals back to the prison, but then like also do a not-so-good thing. I don't fucking know. Well, he is king of the underworld, so kings yeah. get greedy. And Desha <laughs> does clarify that Desha is pretty salty about you know his looks and kind of always being number two to his brother and things like that so i again not entirely surprising that he wants to try and take over the kingdom um but at this point we're still unsure if boss is really a good guy or a bad guy um he seems like a good dad to boji but like is he a good dad to dida i don't think so <laughs> he took over his son's body like i don't know it's a pretty bad dad move to me <laughs> although i think in an earlier episode he acknowledges that he sacrificed another son when yeah okay he resurrected yeah. thank yeah. you for reminding me about that i i took note of that um mentally but didn't write it down yeah he did say i've i've sacrificed another son i was like what the fuck does that mean i assumed he meant sacrificing boji's strength and possibly mm -hmm. his ability to hear or speak um through his greed and wanting to like you know take his son's power to become more powerful that's all I could think, unless there there really is another son out there that yeah, you know, he killed or something. <laughs> Desha. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Banished him to the under. I don't fucking know. <laughs> and in this episode, too, they start to give us um, breadcrumbs about Miranjo's backstory. And it's sad, um, but you're, it's going to take a lot for me to be sympathetic to this bitch. So we'll see how they play that one out. And what was that scene even? like? I think that's telling us that like she's evil because you know she was a child who was part of this magic like clan or something and maybe the clan did something bad to the townspeople and they assumed that she was also bad just by association so they like peeled her face skin off and chopped mm -hmm. her hands off and so she's um, probably really salty from that experience understandably so i mean i'd be pretty salty if someone chopped my skin off my face and my hands off my body yeah i like, part of me still thinks that Dida is being manipulated in this moment by the actual Miranjo. Um, I think to preface it, the, before this scene uh, between Dida and the young Miranjo in the void, um, there's a flashback where Dida and Bevin are walking in the like, town of the kingdom. And Bevin points out the, the deaf, blind um, townsfolk. And Dida comments how he thinks 
that this person is weak because of their limited capabilities, but Bevan actually calls that person strong for overcoming his weaknesses and just continuing continuing to live life despite his physical shortcomings. And I think Bevan encourages Dida to start coming from the mindset of being hopeful for others, or like giving others hope um, instead of ruling with an iron fist. Because I think that's where um, power truly lies and like gaining that respect from the people that you have leadership over rather than this quest for power that Miranjo's like kind of pigeonholing him into. And so when you have this scene with the young Miranjo, I think it's Daida trying to come to terms with what Bevan was teaching him in that moment by giving hope to this younger version of her. But again, I think this was intentionally um, conceived, like this hallucination was conceived by Miranjo to bring Daida back into her fold. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like it's, there's just so many characters that were kind of on the fence about by this point, but we'll, we'll see in the next core how things pan out with, with Miranjo. Um, and I just, I want to, I want some clarity around her ties to boss because they yeah. clearly have some sort of history together and it feels romantic, at least from her side of things. So yeah, what the fuck's going on there? I mean, she's a mirror, mirror on the wall thing from like fairy tales. Yeah. Right? So I feel like there's some, some underlying reason for her, for her scheming. And so that brings us to our final thoughts for Ranking of Kings Part 1. What did you think so far about this series and what are you looking forward to? I love this show so far. It's just so different in multiple aspects again in, in storytelling um in animation and visuals um the protagonist like there's so many refreshing elements to this anime that it just continues to draw me back in every single week it's one of the it's one of the shows i most look forward to every single week um during fall 2021 and probably will be the same as it continues to run through winter 2022 um what about you yeah, as I mentioned in the beginning, this has become my favorite show out of the fall 2021 lineup. It felt very much like uh, watching a like a Saturday morning cartoon with its, with its aesthetic and even with its premise. Um, obviously, Boji, again, his best boy. He's one of the most wholesome characters to come out of anime in my recent memory. And because of that, I can't help but root for him as a short a shonen protagonist who in some respects wait for it subverts expectations hey there it is <laughs> <laughs> and despite what certain characters in the show may say they seem to know that boji has some sort of untapped power or this potential and i can't wait for boji to let them eat their words like now that he has been fully trained by despa and is returning to the kingdom like Simba and the Lion King. <laughs> um, Kage, of course, is the best waifu, the best best waifu since Speedwagon, period, end of story, game over. And I guess what I'm looking forward to in the second half is with this overarching conflict, I think it's still not clearly defined, um, despite Miranjo. I think she is at the helm of most of the scheming throughout the series. And it looks like it's going to become a little bit more muddled with this 
like civil war or all out battle arc that's going to be coming to the kingdom. But I think with all of these different unrelated storylines and perspectives now coming to a head um, with everyone coming back into the kingdom, I'm very excited to see what the show has in store for us and just to continue to see best Boji do his thing. And also is the actual ranking of Kings going to come back into play? Yeah. What the hell's that all about? What, what is the ranking of Kings? Cause there yeah. are other Kings out there. We've, we've gotten glimpses of them and they even tell us their rankings. Cause boss was what three or something like that. Um, I don't remember boss. I think Desha was rated number two or something. And at one point Dido was rated 90th. Yeah. But you know, after they they go through the criteria at the beginning of the show, they don't really acknowledge it there. And, and like, who's managing the rankings? There was a judge in one of the episodes. That's the that one who wore judged. that fucking funny outfit. That yeah. Liked. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that council or that court of judges is in charge of the rankings, but like that's all you hear of them, and so you don't really hear about the rankings after that. Because um, you got to kind of wonder, like, really, what importance does the ranking of kings play if Boji can still become king, even if he's low ranked? Or Dida is king, technically, but he's ranked 90th. So, like, what importance does the ranking actually hold? We have yet to see that. Yeah, I don't know if it's, like, NBA rankings. <laughs> like, who <laughs> the best player is or who is the best king out there. I mean... I, in my heart, it's going to be Bulgy, but Bulgy. we'll see. Well, there you have it. That's Ranking of Kings. Thank you so much for, for joining us in this part one discussion. Can't wait to see what's happening in the second core. Um, again, that'll be episodes 12 through 23. Um, I think that they're starting up uh, the second core pretty soon here. We'll see what new OP and ED they may have in store unless they bring these ones back again. Um, which I'm fine with getting the OP again, but I would love one less instrument in that um, song. <laughs> I read on Wikipedia that they're going to have a new OP and ED. Oh, shit. But the ED will be by Millet, if you remember them from Vinland Saga. They did the ED for one of those. Is it that halves. one who sounds like Amy Winehouse or something? Yeah, or I think... I or Maybe not Amy Winehouse, but... Oh, what's her name? She kind of sounds... Andre, Andre Day. Yeah. Yeah, like the Japanese version of Andre Day. Well, hey, then yeah. I'm down for that. She's got good shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least my ears won't be as assaulted, I guess, every episode with uh, the current OP boy. Oh, no, she's doing the ED. No, I know, but are oh, they changing the OP too? Yeah, the OP will be by, um, spoiler alert, Vondi. And the, I don't know. The title is Naked Hero. What? <laughs> okay. Maybe because, you know, Boji was walking around naked that first episode. I, I guess so. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. All right. Um, ED is titled Flare, by the way. But we'll see how those sound when they are premiered. Well, yes. Join us for our part two review of Ranking of Kings um, in several weeks so that we can talk about all of those aspects of the show. Um, and thank you for joining us yet again um, at the start of 2022. We do have a lot of exciting things in store for this year. Um, one of the biggest things uh, that we have in the works, probably one of our big goals as um, a podcast network. I feel very hesitant to call ourselves that, but I don't know what other term to use. But yeah, the goal is for us to have more guests on both of our podcasts because we've really um, we, we've connected with some really great people at some fantastic um, podcasts and we want to have them on our shows 
um, and have some really great discussions with them. So look forward to a lot more guests this year on Strictly Anime and on Strictly JoJo. Um, and of course, you know, wanted to also mention again that if you have any friends or family who enjoy podcasts and also enjoy anime, please share our podcasts with them. Word of mouth is the best way that we can continue to grow both of our shows and connect with more weebs and spread awareness about ourselves. So it would very much help us out. But again, thank you so much for joining us. And that wraps up episode 68 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review and how fucking cute baby Boji is with his big ass cheeks. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. I want to give another shout out as well to healing the Sunday with a gold with a gold Ricky. <laughs> <laughs>